is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we hear it. It echoes from the beginning of eternity to now. You're the God who spoke into every darkness and said, let there be light, and there was. And that wasn't simply to create a universe, but to create a home for you and for your people. And today, Lord, we just confess with our mouths what our hearts have been telling us every day of our lives, that we are hungry for that world. We are hungry for that home, and we want to make more of our own hearts ready for you to do that work in us and through us. And so would you meet us today, Lord? Would you minister to us in the power of your Holy Spirit? Would your truth be like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that we would walk in it, delight in you, and watch as you not only transform us, but then use us to transform our world. Come, we say, come. Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way in us. In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Right, so this is a family Sunday, which means we've got our older kids with us, our older elementary school kids. And so for you kids, I want you to pay really close attention to the following questions. And then I'm going to help you by giving you what I always give to the adults too, which is the theme of where we're going, okay? So pay attention to this because I have a question. How many of you like video games? I need to see you raising. And this isn't just for the little kids either. I see some big kids raising their hands too. And uh, I appreciate your honesty. So how many of you like this game, Roblox? Yeah? Yeah, how many adults have no idea what this game is? Raise your hand. There it is. All right. You're old. I know what it is. All right. How about Fortnite? How many of you like Fortnite? Yeah. All right. A lot of Fortnites. Yeah. Woo, woo, woo. No. Okay. How about this? Minecraft. Yeah? All right. We got, we got a lot of gamers in here. So here's a little blast from the past. How about this one? Yeah, yes, Super Mario Brothers. Come on, you can't beat this game. Now I'm going to have one that maybe some of you won't recognize. How about this? Contra? Come on, dudes, let me see those hands. Yes, Contra. Look at those graphics. That's a guy right there with a gun, right? And that's another guy, and I don't know what this blob is, but let me tell you, that game was awesome. And it had great graphics for the day. How about this one? Who knows what this game is? 
Tech Mobile, come on. Tech Mobile is making a comeback right now, I think. Uh, my, my boys have been playing on the phone. So why are, we, why are we talking about this? Well, because for me, I wasn't really a gamer, and I'm not really a gamer, but there was a season of my life where I was really into video games, and part of that was because it was fun. But as I reflected on it, the, the other part of it is because video games for me in middle school were an escape. That's 13-year-old Pastor Will right there. Everyone had big hair, so close your mouths, okay? And that gold chain right there, that was popping. That was cool, okay? But I want you to look in these eyes right here. And someone just said it. That boy's angry. Anger is always a secondary emotion. Underneath anger for that boy was deep pain. And I want you to recognize that what I wore on my person throughout all of middle school, late elementary school, and early high school was shame. I believed I was the worst that I had done and the worst that had been done to me. That's who I was. That's what shame tells you. And so video games for me were those moments where I could escape. I could enter into a virtual reality where I could go and be someone else. I could win the battles. I could be the strong one. I could be the handsome one. I could be the one who gets the girls. I could be the one who beats the other people up rather than vice versa. I could be that person even for just a few hours every day. But can I tell you the problem with virtual reality is it's virtual. It's not reality. It's not who you are, and it doesn't change who you are. If anything, it masks and push down, pushes down the, the feelings of pain and isolation and shame that you have been carrying, and it makes it worse when you enter back in. It makes it worse because you've tried to escape. It's like a drug that doesn't work, and then you come back to the reality and you have to face it again. That was my daily existence. And there are some of you, friends, who know exactly what this feels like right now. And if that's you in this place or online, I want you to know something. Please hear this. God sees you. He's not okay with the shame that you carry. And today, today he has something for you. And so if you're one who, because of that shame, tends to zone out because you feel like, oh, I can't listen because it's just too much. And, and I, he, he knows that I don't deserve this. And he doesn't love me. And he doesn't see me. I want to encourage you to realize he does see you. He does love you. And today is your day. Today is your day. So listen and lean in and watch what he does. Today we continue through our sermon series called Unshakable through the letter of Paul to the church in Corinth, his second letter, 2 Corinthians. We're going to be talking about the reality of light that breaks into the darkness. What we just heard declared at the end of the reading and what was declared from the very beginning of time. God said, let light shine out of darkness. That's what he wants to do today. Amen. Today. Who would like a little more light in their life? Can I hear an Amen. 
Amen. I didn't hear, it wasn't loud enough. Can you just, let me just hear that one more time. Amen, friends. We are not an audience, we are an army. And our words, especially the ones we speak to ourselves, matter. We can speak blessing over ourselves or we can speak cursing. Shame wants you to curse yourself. And Jesus died to set you free from that. And so today we speak blessing and only blessing over ourselves. Here's where we've been. A very quick review. Life with Jesus includes suffering that leads unto glory. Until you and unless you share in his sufferings, you will not share in his glory. What's the lie that's encapsulated in this statement? We look at it and we're like, well, then I don't want to follow Jesus because I don't want pain or suffering. Newsflash, if you were born into this world, pain and suffering is the only life you're going to have. And it doesn't mean there isn't joy. It doesn't mean there isn't breakthrough. It doesn't mean there isn't growth. It just means we live in a broken world. God said that from Genesis 3. From the very beginning, the world broke. So if you're experiencing that, you're like, well, I don't want suffering. You don't get that choice because you live in this world. But can I also say to you that where your heart aches for a better one, you're singing the song of the gospel. It's why Jesus came. Because we were made for a world that isn't broken. And that world, friends, is coming. It's coming. It's coming. Holding on to our twofold boast is simply a reality that when, when we follow Jesus and we live into this, we see Jesus who is our boast and we see one another. We see one another living this out and it becomes that mutual encouragement that we can actually continue to do this even and especially in times when we struggle. And a key to this is the forgiveness that is the aroma of life. The trap is the trap of what? Offense. Remember? The trap of offense that says, if you've done something to hurt me, you don't deserve my forgiveness, so therefore I'm not going to give it. That is a trap. I'm going to continue to say it over and over and over again. You know why? Because every time I sit down across the table from someone and they're, they're stuck with bitterness in their life, they're in the trap. And that is so commonly the place. Because we can forgive the easy stuff. It's the hard stuff we can't forgive. And you know the number one person we have the most trouble forgiving? Well, if we all know it, why do we struggle so much? It is ourselves. And tied for number one? When I'm angry and bitter, there is one who's put me in this place. We're going to unpack that a little bit today. Yeah, last week, we looked at true love is unrelenting and transformational, which we're also going to unpack a little bit, so I won't go to, into too much detail there other than to say it out loud. Where are we going today? Here's our theme. So kids, if you want to know the main point of this sermon, it's always what we call our theme, right? We have been empowered to defeat discouragement. Let me let that sink in for just a second. In Christ Jesus... We have been empowered to defeat discouragement. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're like, I don't know what that means, and I'm struggling to believe that, you're in a good place, because so is the person right next to you. But here's the reality, friends. We're all on a path of learning to live into and believe what God says is already true. Did you hear that? We're learning to lean in and believe what God says is already true. 
And so let's do that together this morning. Two points. Rooted in what God has done and dismantling Satan's work. First of all, rooted in what God has done. The word therefore, anytime you see the word therefore, you should ask what the therefore is there for. Right? It simply means it's pointing back up. If you're looking, reading down in your Bible, it points back up to what was just written. So it's pointing to last week, which is all about true love being unrelenting and transformational. Unrelenting in the sense that Jesus said, I'm never going to give up on you. I'm always going to be there for you. I'm the good shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the 100. It's from Yahweh God, our Father God, saying from the beginning of his time when he chose Abram to be his dude through whom the nation of Israel would come and Jesus would come when he said, Abram, I'm putting you to sleep and I'm going to enter into this treaty that you're going to know what it's all about, this ancient suzerain vassal treaty. If you don't know what the heck that is, listen to last week's sermon. But this whole idea of these animals being split in two, what? And God being the one who walks in between them and declaring to Abram, no matter what you do, no matter how you break this covenant, when that happens, may what, happens to the, what happened to these animals happen to me. It's God saying, I'm going to take the punishment for your mess-ups, your sin, your transgressions. That, friends is unrelenting grace. Hesed is the word. Remember the guttural we, we practice when we say it together? Hesed. You didn't spit enough. One more time. Hesed. John, I see you back there. I did not see you say the word. Everyone listen to John. Thank you, John. Thank you. So the whole idea here is that God is the one of unrelenting, meaning it doesn't matter what we do, he's not going to stop. And his promise is, as he pursues us, he's going to change us. Now listen, there are some of us in this room who are like, I don't feel like I've changed. I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like there's no one pursuing me. And can I just say to you, why do you think you're here? Is it because you got smarter this morning? Is it because you're just a better person today than you were yesterday? Or is it because the God of the universe who orchestrates all the details of our lives got you here this morning because he wanted you to taste and see just how good his love and his grace is for you. How unrelenting he is in coming after us and saying there's nothing that's going to stand in the way. So all of the stuff that's been done to you and all of the stuff that you've done, that remember that word we kept talking about, shame? Shame wants to say this is who you are. Jesus is the one who says that's never been who you are. You've always been mine. And he doesn't just die on the cross to show us the way he loves us. He dies on the cross and rises again to actually set us free from the power that would keep us not changed. His love is transformational. He declared it all the way back in Jeremiah 31, just another way to hear it. I have loved you with a what? Yes, let's say it again, an everlasting love. That means it, a love that does not end. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness. This faithfulness is chesed. I've continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you. 
and you, and really they use plural, y'all, and y'all shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, y'all shall adorn yourselves with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of merrymakers. Now, don't get lost in this language here where you're just like, I don't know what that means. Here's what it means. He's talking about life and life to the fullest. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. I've come because God has promised to love his people with an everlasting, never-ending, never-fading, never-giving-up kind of love. That's our God. This is Jeremiah. This, we, this is not a gospel. This is Jeremiah, God declaring his love for his people, which is precisely why Jesus came. And I keep getting ahead of myself. But anyway, hesed is what God has done. Therefore... We can stand on that foundation. You see, if your life is all about what you've done, you're building a foundation that's, all, that's going to be just riddled with broken stones. Riddled with stones that don't match up, with, with all of your mistakes, all the mistakes of the people around you, and then you're going to wonder why you're, you're on shaky ground when the storms come. But if your foundation is what Jesus has done for you, his chesed, then no matter what happens to you, you can stand. This is what it means to say that loved is who we are. So in the face of shame that says your mistakes are who you are, Jesus is the one who says, no, 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 my love is who you are, which is why he always talks about us with this one word that you hear me use a lot because I hear him use a lot. Beloved. Beloved. That's who we are. And he wants us to believe that and to live into that reality. And we do that by dismantling Satan's work. This is how we now live. This word renounce. He says, we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. And this is just literally what it means in the Greek. Ways of shame and hidden things. So what he's pointing out to us there is the, the method of shame. Shame hides. We know that. Shame's what's done behind the scenes. It's what's done in the dark. Shame is the things that we do or that have been done to us that we'd never want to whisper out loud because, excuse me, we're afraid of being exposed. And because we believe the lie, right? If people see this, if they knew this about us, then they wouldn't love us. Do you remember who God is? God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. God is the one who says in the Psalms, even the darkness is as light to me. Because when I draw near to you, I see all. And what did he say? He has loved us until he's ashamed of us. And then he's done. No. I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what's been done to you. Those things sing the song of a broken world. Those are the things that echo the heart of God that says this world is broken. It cannot stay this way. If you're angry with God right now because you're like, look at all this crap that's going on in my life. I cannot believe that there's a good God who would let this happen. Please know you didn't come up with that idea. That this world shouldn't be this way. God's the one who came up with that. And if God didn't come up with it, you'd just be nuts. Because you'd be asking for a world that you've never seen exist and you don't have the power to make exist. So you'd be craving something that has never existed. As far as you know. But if there's a God who actually made everything to be perfect 
and who then paid the price to make it perfect again, then all you're doing is echoing his heart. And there's so much freedom there, friends. Notice what I did not say here and what the, the gospel does not say. I didn't say, just pretend like things are okay. Push him down. Just ignore. Ignore the struggle. Please don't do that. That's what shame wants you to do because shame hides. Shame hides. Hidden things are the ways of shame. Shame wants you to hide. Push it down. Pretend like it didn't happen. No, no. God's the one who wants to expose those things in your life so that he can heal them, so that he can give you a better covering, so he can give you a better future. So this is what shame does. But it, shame doesn't simply do that with regard to life itself. Specifically in our text, in view, is the word of God. And we know that that's true. We've been talking about it this whole time. What the enemy wants to do and what our culture wants to do and what shame in particular wants to do is take the word of God and twist it. And we saw that from the very beginning when the very bad guy that's being mentioned in our text, Satan, who happens to be the prince of bad guys, the king, he's the, the big cheese. He's the guy that all other bad guys are modeled after, right? In every video game you've ever played, the guy that has all the extra power, who's powered up, who's ready to destroy you, who you cannot defeat on your own until you power up, that's Satan. No matter what you call him, that's who he is, which is why you need the Holy Spirit from Jesus to actually resist him. But here's the reality. From the beginning, he's shown us his ways. He came to, to Eve in particular, but Adam and Eve in the garden, when they were commanded to not eat from one tree. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree that was a, basically a test for them. Would they obey God and trust that he is good no matter what? Or would they insist on taking control and knowing for themselves what evil feels like, what it, what it is, what it is? Right? So Satan comes and he doesn't just say, hey, you should just eat the, the, of that fruit because they would be like, no, we shouldn't do that. He comes and he says to Eve, did God really say that you shouldn't eat any fruit in the garden? Now, what did I just say? God commanded them not to eat from one tree, which means he could, they could eat from all the trees. But Satan comes in a, a way that is very cunning. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any of the trees? So he twists God's word. Please hear the principle here. Anytime Satan is coming to tempt you, he is going to take truth and twist it. It's going to be close to the truth. That's why he's called an angel of light. He does not want to reveal who he is. He's going to twist it just a little bit so that in that twist, he gets you to fall in the trap. Here's the trap. We can twist God's word. That is in and of itself the trap that Eve falls in because she responds like this. No, he said that we, we, we can eat of all the trees except for the one, but we can't touch that one either. Well, did God say you couldn't touch the tree? No. He just said you couldn't eat from the tree. Do you see how Eve learns from the serpent and twists God's word? So close to the truth, but with a twist. Why does a twist matter? Well, you see in the very next thing that he says. Because if you can twist it, then all of a sudden a God who's only ever good is good with a twist. And the only twist you add to goodness is not goodness, but evil. So he says, you won't surely die. He directly contradicts God's word. Because God knows that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. 
Now, please don't miss this. Because again, it's another insight into what the enemy of our souls does. He attacks Eve and Adam at the level of their identity. Adam and Eve were made as image bearers. They were fully and completely in the image of God. Satan comes and twists God's word and he attacks God's goodness, and th- which is attacking his identity. And then he attacks Adam and Eve's identity and says, God's held back on you. You're actually not made in the image of God, not fully. He's held back. And the only one who can take that in- matters into their own hands is you. If you do exactly the opposite of what God called you to do, then you'll be more like God and not less like God. Raise your hand if that makes sense to you. You're misunderstanding me. Because none of us should have our hands raised right now. Made completely in the image of God. So here's how you become more like him. Disobey and do the opposite of what he said. That will make you more like God. What? It will make you absolutely less like God. And yet, they fall for it in the same way that you and I fall for it all the time. When Satan comes and twists God's word, attacks God's identity, his goodness, and goes after our own as well. Just consider, when you get abused by someone, whether it's verbally, physically, sexually, right away, the voices that you hear, the voice of shame, tells you a few different things about how not good God is because he let this happen. The voice of shame tells you how dirty you are because this happened to you, so it must mean something's broken in you. And therefore, you need to go hide rather than walk in the truth and the light. Can I just say to you, for those of you who are feeling deeply what I just said right now, When you're abused, that is not a condemnation on who you are. It is not some explanation of how bad you always have been. What it is, is injustice that has broken into you, not because of you, but because of the perpetrator. To put it differently, when someone hurts you, that's evidence of what's broken in them, not evidence of what's broken in you. That's the lie of shame. It tells you, even when you receive the abuse, it's because you are the abuse. You are worthy of it. That's who you are. You're never going to change. And that, friends, is a lie from the pit of hell. Now let me flip the script. What about when you're the abuser? When you're the one who's made the mistakes, maybe hurt people, Stolen, lied, cheated, whatever your story is. And you're tempted to think, okay, well, I guess there's going to be grace for those that have been the recipients of that evil. But when I am the perpetrator of that evil, there is no grace for me. Once again, what has the enemy called shame done? Attacked the goodness of God, which the last we just talked about, it is unrelenting. His goodness and commitment to you is not based on what you've done. It's based on who he is and what he's done. So the character of God is being attacked again. 
but so is your identity. Because friends, who you've always been is his. And just ask any parent in the room, when their kid messes up, I mean really messes up, even if in the moment they say really bad things, like really bad things to their kid, I'm not gonna repeat them here. Every parent in this room knows the truth. No matter what your kid does, you're always gonna love them and they're always gonna be yours. And there's nothing that's ever gonna change that because they're yours. Their actions don't make them less than your kid. You might be embarrassed by them, you might be angry because of them, but they don't, make, they don't change their identity. That's the lie of shame. And God wants us today to begin to live out of it. So let me declare this out loud. Shame, Satan's favorite weapon, Every place you are in shame, discouraged because of who you are, is a trap and a lie. Every place this morning that you feel trapped, overwhelmed, condemned by shame is a lie. I'm not asking for you to feel that here. If you're, if you're one who's stuck there, you're probably not feeling it. You're probably struggling to believe it. I'm simply declaring it over you in Jesus' name because regardless of what you think or feel, your, your thoughts and your feelings do not determine what is true. God does. And I want you to hear your Abba, your dad in heaven, say over you, you're trapped and I've come to set you free. That's our God, friends. And so the way that we dismantle this work of the enemy is through light. It's through the work of renouncing and through the work of declaring and through the work of healing. It's through coming into the presence of God as we've been talking about week in and week out and letting God be the one who defines who we are and letting God be the one whose love actually changes us. Not the idea of his love, the experience of his love. Because the theos of this age, the God of this age, uses his power to blind us. And there's a reality to which he's talking about unbelievers who are separate from those who are believers. But there's also a reality that Paul unpacks in every one of his letters that says we need to stop living like unbelievers. He's talking to Christians. He's saying put to death the old man and, and live into the new person, this new creation. So all of us have areas of our lives, in other words, no matter where we are in the spectrum of faith, where we're blind, where the God of this age has blinded us and we have chosen again and again to live out of that blindness. But today, God wants us to see that there is another way, a way that's beyond just information, but a way that is all about transformation. What is that way? Well, Jesus is that way. Jesus came to be the light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word was the light of men, and that light, the darkness tried to overcome and failed. That's who Jesus says. That's why he's come. In the same way that Adam and Eve were tempted in their identity, and were tempted to see the identity of God being changed as well, 
Satan, this very same tempter, comes to Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of his life and recapitulates, lives out again that scene from the garden in Genesis 3, where he comes to Jesus after 40 days of fasting, where he's completely exhausted, completely exhausted. He comes to Jesus and he says, if you really are the Son of God, do you hear the attack on the identity? If you really are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. In other words, if God was good, why does he want you to be hungry? Don't raise your hand, but how many of us in here know what it's like to hunger for something, food or otherwise, that it seems like God is not hearing us at all? Or he's taking his sweet old time? And I'm hungry, God. And you're not feeding me. And so we hear the whisper of the enemy again say, if God was good, he'd feed you. He can make bread out of stones. If you really are his kids, why isn't he caring for you? Do you remember what Jesus says to Satan in response? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here's what he's saying. I don't need my father to prove his love for me. I hear it every day. I hear him every day. And that place of intimacy is what allows me to then face even 40 days of hunger and not flinch. Satan keeps going though, right? He's unrelenting in his pursuit as well. And he says, well, if you really are the son of God, then throw yourself off of the pinnacle of the temple because God is the one who's declared that his angels will come and take care of you. Do you see how he's using the word of God to twist and change? He says, you need to have your father in heaven prove his love for you because clearly you're suffering and he needs to show you that you're going to be okay no matter what. And what does he say? Scripture says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, I know the heart of my father, and I'm trusting his word. I don't need him to prove it to me. I'm simply going to live it. I'm going to live it. And while that sounds harder in the moment, friends, please realize the temptation to go the other direction is simply a trap. Living step by step your faith is the only way through the valley trying to circumvent the valley simply guarantees that you're going to come right back to that same place months or years later. Walking by faith and trusting the word because you know the heart of the Father is the way through. You would think that two temptations would be enough, but he comes with a third. And he says, he takes Jesus up to a high mountain and he says, look at all the kingdoms of this earth. I will give them all to you if you simply bow down to me which sounds like a ridiculous temptation, right? Because it's Jesus after all. And why would he ever bow down to Satan? Well, here's why. Because the same, God, the same little G, God, Satan, that has been attacking the God Almighty, the only real God, Yahweh, in his goodness, is saying this to Jesus. I know your father sent you to suffer so that he could win back the kingdoms of the earth. And I'm offering them to you. 
without any suffering. You don't think that was a real temptation? Satan didn't even know the half of it. What Jesus would have to suffer. All hell breaking loose on a human being. Feeling his father turn his back on him for the first time in all of eternity. Bleeding drops of blood because of the suffering he was enduring. Satan didn't know the half of it. And yet Jesus says, be gone, Satan. He stands his ground because he knows who he is and he knows that his father loves him and it says Satan flees from him. And his father sends angels to minister to his needs and to care for Jesus' heart. You see, Jesus won the very battle that our forefathers, Adam and Eve, did not win. They lost. And that we lose every day of our lives, unfortunately. If Jesus had lost it, it would have meant endless shame. But because of his chesed, his unrelenting pursuit, no matter the cost, what it won for him was endless praise, friends. What does that mean for us? Well, it means we now walk differently. We have a different life to live. We are to walk in that very same light and that very same reality, but which starts first and foremost in our passage with agreeing with our need. We do not proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, is what the passage says. If Jesus is Lord, who's not Lord? Me. And again, we say that, but how often do we not live it? So daily living with Jesus is this agreement that it's not about me. That my life actually isn't about me. That I need a savior. I need someone who can do for me what I can't do for myself. Isn't that oftentimes how we get so bitter in the first place? We say, like, I keep trying and I can't fix this thing. It's not working the way that I want. My kids aren't changing the way that, they, that they, I want them to. This relationship isn't coming. I didn't get that job. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. We are always so frustrated because it's not working out. And the whole time God is just standing there as our Father in heaven and saying, come to me. Come to me. Stop your striving. Come to me. And I will give you what you actually need, which may not include the thing you think you're going after. It, it might include it, but what it's absolutely going to include is him. What are all those things coming after but our identity? Where do we need to go to actually be reaffirmed in who we are? but to the one whose love is who we are, my beloved. To not just read it or know it up here, but to experience here the way he actually loves us. And then from that place, you know what it does to shame? <laughs> it's beautiful. Shame keeps coming with all these accusations. Look what you did. Or look what was done to you. Look how horrible you are. You should go hide. No one's going to believe you. No one's going to love you. It's just idea, hide, 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 because I don't want to be ex exposed. When you come to the gospel, here's, what, here's the reality. You've already agreed with the worst criticism of yourself you could possibly agree with. Before Jesus came into my life, I was dead in my trespasses and, and sins. I was stuck. I was a slave. I couldn't change myself. Dead means dead. doesn't mean half alive. It means dead. 
Before Jesus came into my life, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. So when shame comes into my life and says, look, you did this horrible thing. Like, and? And? Look, the world's broken around you and it, it, it seems like it's only getting worse and it's swirling out of control. And? My God is the one who told me that already. And my God is the one who saw me in that estate and who loved me right there and who did everything necessary to free me from that place for such were some of us, friends. Today, we are new. Today, we are set free to agree with his chesed. The same God who said let light shine when he created and then let light shine when he come, came to recreate in Jesus is the same God who says let light shine now through us. He says, because I'm the light of the world, when you put your faith in me, you are the light of the world because I'm going to live in you. So let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 5. Titus 2 puts it this way. This is a summation of everything we've just been talking about. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good deeds for good works do you see the balance there you would think it was the condemnation of God, the, the, the law of God, the strength of God has appeared teaching us to renounce. No, it is the grace of God. And how do you say that word grace in Hebrew again? Chesed. Chesed. Thank you, John. I saw that. Chesed. His grace has appeared in a person, in Jesus who paid the price to redeem us from all of the passions that were otherwise enslaving us. And not just the passions, but the shame. And rooting us in an identity that cannot be changed. Where have we seen this light play out? I want to give you three examples and then we're done. The first example of chesed in action is in our prayer ministry. When we have seen person after person come, riddled with shame. Remember how we talked about that shame is the number one weapon of the enemy? It is. And what comes along with shame is often fear. But shame is all about you being something that's irredeemable. Of course the enemy wants us to think that. Your identity is irredeemable, unlovable, not worthy. Those are all lies. And those lies are connected with lies about him. He's not really loving. He doesn't really care. He doesn't really see you. All the details of our lives are different, friends. But at the end of the day, the schemes of the enemy and the way he comes after our hearts are all very similar. They're all very similar. Bless you, Timmy. And how, how we go about them, how we go about combating them is the same way, Right? Jesus stood on his identity. He renounced the liar and resisted him, and he put on the truth. That's all we do. That's all we do in our prayer ministry is we simply stand on the truth with Jesus. Renounce the lies with Jesus. 
declare the truth with Jesus. And then watch, please don't miss this, as Jesus heals and sets free. If you want to talk about the difference between empty religion and true faith, this is one of the clearest ways to see the difference. Because you're watching the person of Jesus in action right in front of your very eyes. And it's breathtaking. It's glorious. And for those of you who have experienced that intimacy and connection there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And for those of you who think that it's not for you or that you've got too much stuff and I can't possibly look at it and, and I, can't, I can't be real about this stuff, can I just say to you what God spoke to you from the beginning? Why do you think you're here? It's because he loves you with an everlasting love. A love that's not going to change no matter what you've done or what's been done to you. A love that says, I'm not going to stop until you are clean and free all the way down to the bottom. A love that drives out all the lies of shame and helps you to wear the armor of truth. That I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Beloved, if that's you, don't wait another week. Don't wait another day. Today is your day to lean in and receive some of that love that actually changes us. Let me give you a second example of where I've seen this light at work, light that drives back the darkness. It's in this guy, who's also that guy, in case that wasn't clear. That's Liam, at about five years old, maybe four years old, and 17, now 18 years old. And it has been a joy and an honor to watch as the Lord has used Liam to speak the truth in love to his siblings, to the, his schoolmates, to his teammates, to the people that God has put in his path. It's been wonder. The other night, I'm trying to talk to him. I'm in the kitchen trying to get dinner together, and I'm asking for his help, and he's completely ignoring me. Jerk. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you. But I'm, I'm wondering, why is he ignoring me? And he's on his text, and I'm thinking he's playing games. I'm like, Liam, can you get off your phone and come over here and help me? He goes, Just a minute, Dad. I actually have a question I want to ask you because I'm on a text thread with several of my friends, and they're asking me about Jesus and science and how it makes sense to be a believer when they believe in science. Can I tell you that as a dad, he didn't help at all with dinner. <laughs> he did the better work of leaning in and being light to speak. And the only way he even gets on that text message, proud dad moment, is because of the kindness with which you live your life. I'm so proud of you. The man that you are, and the man that God is making you to be, and the way he is building the kingdom through you, Liam. And we love you, brother. Happy birthday. Sadly, you're not nearly as cute as you once were, but 
Well, we, we can pray. <laughs> wow. Sticking up for Liam. So where's the third way? This is the last point for us this morning, just as encouragement to you. I want you to look at this word again. Because there are some in this room who are struggling even now to believe this is who you are. Did you make yourself? Did you make yourself? Did you create yourself? Did you decide before you were made that you were going to be made and knit you just together in your own mother's womb and make yourself? Did you? The answer is no. No one has ever done that before, ever, with one exception. His name is Jesus, and he did knit himself in Mary's womb. But here's the truth. The one who did make you, the one who decided, I want to share my love with this person, with you, is the one who declares this over you. You are my beloved, my child, and nothing and no one is going to change that. And today's your day to believe that like never before. You think, how, how am I supposed to do that, Will? He already gave us the answer by renouncing all lesser identities and all the lies of shame and by putting on the truth, the truth that God says is true of us in his presence. So what I want to do with you this morning is just give you an opportunity to do that. So even as our worship team comes up here, what I want to do is invite all of you even if you're feeling a little uncomfortable right now, to close your eyes and bow your head. If you're home and you're just watching this, can I just encourage you to do the same thing? You're not an audience. You're part of this family. So enter in, close your eyes, bow your heads. And Abba, I praise you in Jesus' name that as your family, you are growing us up. That it is your desire, Lord, to set us free, to make us whole, and to empower us with everything we need, Lord, to live in the light of truth. What we're praying for right now, what I'm asking for, Lord, is that you would bring to mind the lies of shame in each and every one of our lives each and every one of our lives, Lord. Would you show us the places where shame has had a foothold? Would you show us the places, Lord, where we have lived into those lies and even declared them over ourselves? The places where we've said, I'm, I'm not worthy of love, I'm unlovable. The places where we've said, I'm ugly, I'm dirty, I'm less than, I'll always be alone. I'm a misfit, I'm a screw up, I'm a monster. The places where, Lord, we have been tempted to define ourselves, our identity by our sin. Would you bring those places to mind? And beloved, every place that the Lord confirms in your heart that you have been living by the lie of shame, I want you to pray this prayer. In Jesus' name, I renounce the lie that I am, and then fill in the blank, 
In Jesus' name, I renounce the lie that I am unworthy. In Jesus' name, I renounce the lie that I'm too far gone. In Jesus' name, I renounce the lie that I deserve death. In Jesus' name, Lord, show us. Keep speaking, Abba. In Jesus' name, I renounce the lie that you are not good. you every place that you just renounced a lie Abba would you help us put on the truth in Jesus name I declare the truth that I'm a son of the living God or a daughter of the living God in Jesus name I declare the truth that the cross of Jesus Christ declares me worthy of love In Jesus' name, I declare the truth that the abuse that happened to me does not define me. In Jesus' name, I declare the truth that the abuse that I'm responsible for, the sin that I'm responsible for, does not define me. In Jesus' name, I declare the truth when I confess my sin, you are faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, I declare the truth that when I walk in the light, as you are in the light, I have fellowship with my brothers and sisters and the blood of Jesus cleanses us all from all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, I declare the truth that you are so pleased with us right now for taking the risk to walk by faith even before we see it or feel it. And I pray, Lord, for those who are stuck that your love would break in you would soften their hearts, Lord, that your spirit would fall like rain upon them right now, that they would sense your presence and your love for them, and that all the walls that have been built to keep them safe, that they with you would agree that they come down today, today. So we declare to those walls, come down in Jesus' name. Come down in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. We love you and we trust you, Lord. And we thank you that shame is not who we are and it is not our master. You are. The God of this age has been thrown down. Hallelujah. Jesus reigns. You reign, Lord. And our eyes and our hearts are fixed on you. God, please continue to minister to us 
even as we fix our eyes and our hearts and even our mouths on the goodness that you have given us to taste today. We thank you, Lord.